Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Uncork Corner Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm here with my co-host, Bianca. And today we are welcoming Jesse from Deacon Giles in Salem, Mass. Uh, hi, Jesse. So let's have you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So uh, name's Jesse Brenneman. Uh, I am the uh, chief alchemist and co-founder at Deacon Giles Distillery in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, we've been open, wow, oh, geez, uh, just going on about five and a half years. It's actually Halloween weekend's our, our yearly anniversary. Uh, that was a happy accident. Um, <laughs> took us a little longer to get open than we expected. It ended up being Halloween weekend in Salem, Massachusetts. Who knew? Perfect. Um, right? Yeah. Previously, I spent, uh, I spent 10 years uh, in the beer industry. Uh, kind of got sick of all the IPAs, started drinking alcohol, and then started, you know, distilling. Not at home, because that would be illegal, but <laughs> uh, and then finally uh, opened Deacon Giles in October 2015. Nice. Uh, so what was the journey like in deciding you were going to take this learning into distilling to, all right, I'm going to start my own brand. And how'd you decide on uh, Deacon Giles, what you have now? Uh, so uh, initially, um, you know, it, so let me start here. So it's myself and, and Ian Hunter. He's the other co-founder. Uh, we met previously when we both worked at Harpoon Brewery. Um, we were good friends. We were on the same um, homebrewing team. Harpoon does an internal homebrewing competition every year. Um, and independently, I had been on, you know, like every brewer wanting to open my own thing. Uh, he had been too. Um, and then uh, uh, one fortuitous conversation over beers uh, one evening. Uh, we realized we were both on the same path. Uh, we've been looking for uh, a matching counterpart. Uh, I have the technical and, and experience in production, um, and he has the business end of things. Um, so uh, we had started daydreaming about it, started writing a business plan, and he was actually on a trip with his wife to Bermuda uh, and then had paid a visit to the Swizzle Inn, stagger out, <laughs> and uh, realized at that point, like, uh, beer was getting saturated and he had a swizzle in his hand and he thought, well, wouldn't it be great to do booze? Um, so he came back from that trip and asked me about it. Um, and I said, hands down, yes, that sounds like a really great idea. Um, number one, kind of a new challenge, um, you know, taking my home distilling skills and, and scaling that up sounded fun. Um, and also I think we saw a really nice market there. Um, you know, something that, you know, beer has experienced the Renaissance and spirits hadn't really yet and starting to now um, so I thought it'd be fun to be a part of that I think that's definitely coming around the corner with you know you guys got them here but the canned cocktails and everything it's just starting to make it a little bit uh, you don't have to pour yourself a glass of whiskey or a dram scotch or something every time you want to drink something and it doesn't have to be a crazy <laughs> cocktail like the canned cocktails are a perfect way for people that aren't into that stuff to kind of segue themselves into it you know, when they don't have a lot on hand, like they don't, might not want to go out and buy a bottle of gin and a bunch of other stuff to make a one cocktail and gin vermouth and everything, make a martini or something. But, you know, picking up something like, you know, the G&T you got here is a perfect way for them to be, oh, do I like this? Is this something that I could get into? And then maybe they could explore it from there. And then you guys obviously have your spirits and everything too, uh, for the people that are into that or want to make their own cocktails mm -hmm. or anything as well. And the cans are awesome looking, which is... <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you liked them. It was that uh, the artwork is actually done by one of our bartenders, Dave, Dave Sergali. Nice. He's our, son, our regular Sunday bartender and uh, he's quite the artist on the side. So we asked him to uh, give us some ideas and 
man, they came out really great. So, so yeah, Nick, yeah. I think you really, you, you kind of hit it on the head with those. Yeah, we, 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 um, we didn't start with the cans. We launched those uh, three, this will be our third summer doing them. Um, and we, we kind of saw uh, one, like one of the challenges with, with a good cocktail is you have to make it, right? Um, and we didn't think that needed to be the case. It was, it was uh, we were trying to solve a problem there. How do we create a portable cocktail? It took us, it took us two years um, to really kind of develop a good way to make a cocktail that tastes like you just ordered it at the bar, but you have it in the can. Um, there's a, there's a few of them out there, uh, but I don't think they're as fresh tasting as ours. Um, so it, it was it was a, quite a bit of research to, to make sure that we we nailed it in the can, you know. Yep, and I haven't actually gotten a sip in yours yet. I'm saving that for later for me taste. But I definitely hear what you're saying. Where a lot of the canned cocktails that I have tried, they just kind of taste sort of flat, and it's almost like it's its own drink. It doesn't taste like the cocktail if you made it, you know. Mm -hmm. So having that balance and being able to make it taste like a cocktail. Uh, instead of just, you know, a fizzy drink with a little bit of fruit flavor or something in it, then that helps a lot. Now, how did you settle on Salem uh, for the location of this distillery? And obviously the branding uh, being kind of a history near myself, I can see some ties to some Salem history here. So tell us how you decided on that. Uh, so Salem came about uh, really just because um, uh, Ian has, has lived in Salem, I think for like 19 or 20 years now. Um, and then my wife and I had come up to visit Salem while we were still living in Boston. I was still working at Harpoon. And um, it just reminded us of, uh, of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, way back in the day when we were in college at UNH, <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, but it just, it has that, um, you know, it has a great arts community. It has a really, really tight restaurant community. That, that I guess the community as a whole is, is very uh, inclusive and um, it's got a lot going on. So we fell in love with the city anyway. So it was kind of just a no-brainer after that, that Salem, yeah, Salem was going to be our home base. Um, and then getting into the story, um, you know, Ian had actually dug the story up behind Deacon Giles. It's, it, it was uh, originally published in the early 1800s, uh, and it came from the era that the temperance movement uh, initially was born into. Um, so, you know, the temperance movement, we banned alcohol in the U.S. from 1920s, um, but that movement to get to that point actually started in the 1820s. So it took him a hundred years of building that momentum to finally ban it. Um, and at that time, it was, it was actually early 1830s in Salem. There was uh, a, uh, a preacher in town. He was, he was, he was a hardcore temperance enthusiast. Um, and he decided to write a thinly veiled uh, attack on a popular local distiller here in Salem named John Stone. Um, and he wrote it as the guys uh, that, you know, this, this was all a dream that came to me. Um, and it was very clear to everybody in Salem that it was actually about this guy, John Stone, even though he didn't use the name in the story, he named the guy Deacon Giles instead. But Deacon Giles himself, you know, he was, he was a bad guy, owned a distillery, uh, paid his workers in booze, sold Bibles out of his counting room, which was illegal at the time, you had to buy them from your church. Um, all around uh, evil human being and eventually accidentally hired demons to operate his rum distillery. Um, and they played a trick on him. Uh, they produced a bunch of rum, filled his barrels for him. Uh, but they branded all the barrels with invisible messages that would glow with an unholy light when they were tapped um, to scare people away from drinking booze. Um, and they glowed with all sorts of temperance slogans, you know, sickness, poverty, death found in this barrel, inquire at Deacon Giles Distillery. So when we, when we, when we saw this story, um, we, we thought, first of all, great, it's about a distillery, and that's what we're doing in Salem. It came from Salem. Uh, but most importantly, it spoke to a piece of Salem history 
um, that didn't involve witches. <laughs> uh, you know, Salem is very well known for the witches. We have a lot of uh, legit tourism based around it. We also have a lot of kitsch based around it. And we wanted to try and avoid that. And this story seemed to tie in really great to, to including ourselves in the Salem history, but staying away from, from all the witches. And that's actually, when I first read the name, I actually tied it sort of back to the witches myself, having that association, thinking of like Giles Corey. I don't know if you remember that story from history class. <laughs> The dude getting oh, yeah, by yeah. rocks because they switched him a witch. I uh, thought he was a witch, but that's where my mind originally jumped to when I read that. Um, so that's probably why I've been pronouncing it wrong too. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's definitely cool to tie it back. And there is so much history other than that, obviously, since and especially in the Northeast and everything being sort of a, a lot of ports and on the water and everything. There is a lot of that history that ties back to how you know booze and everything got in here during that time. Uh, and it's so nice that you guys are close to downtown, but you're still slightly outside. So you're not necessarily like in with all that uh, touristy stuff, like right in the center. You're in a good mm -hmm. spot where, you know, it's it's quiet. You're in a great place for people to go visit without feeling the stress of all the tourists down in the center of town, uh, which is pretty great. And, but you're also I mean, just, you know, close enough that you could get there if you wanted to. It's, it's, it's less stress for you for, I mean, for us as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're far enough from downtown that if, if somebody shows up here, it's because they came looking for us. They didn't just wander by and say, Oh, let's check that out. Uh, so it kind of, it kind of weeds out the, the wanderers and, and I guess the people in here that we, we really want to talk to, you know? Do you feel like most of your visitors are from Salem or are you getting a lot of people who are coming from all over the new England area now? Um, wow. That's a good question. I mean, um, in the before times, <laughs> it was it was definitely um, a lot of Salemites six months of the year, and then the, the, the tourist crowd was definitely growing. You know, kind of the May through October range. Um, even last year, going in, into October, uh, we still had quite a few tourists that wandered in. Um, but I, I think it's slowly shifting. I think the word is getting out, uh, and it's definitely becoming a larger New England audience for sure. What was the first spirit that you came out with, or did you come out with a few of them at first when you launched? Uh, we launched with two initially. Uh, we launched with uh, the original gin, which is our more botanical gin, and then our white rum, liquid damnation white rum. Uh, and it kind of evolved from there. Um, we already had the white rum, so then we did the spice rum. Uh, that was next. Uh, immediately, we started aging rum. Um, so it took about two years before we could release that. Um, had let it spend some time in the barrels. And then um, beyond that, it, it's kind of just evolved. A lot of a lot of our spirits start out in our single batch series. So they're, um, you know, we do a seasonal kind of release every year. Um, so it's kind of our testing ground. So like the dry gin, um, even the spice rum was a single batch at the, at the beginning. Um, it gives us a chance to put stuff out there and, and try it out. And you have quite a bit now. So when you're thinking about what's gonna come next, where are you driving most of that inspiration from? Is it from customer demand or is it really just from what you're looking to experiment with yourself? Uh, it's, it's fully, pretty much fully internal. Um, we, we, we take a very um, collaborative approach. Um, you know, my job is, is to make good booze, but I don't necessarily have to come up with the ideas behind them. Um, so we, we involve everybody who works, works here at Deacon Giles. Um, so we, it's always been collaborative um, and even more so now um, coming up this summer, we've got quite a few releases that we've been working on uh, and most of them have, have actually been designed by our bar staff. 
you know, kind of solving a problem where, you know, it, at our bar here, we can only serve what we make. And if somebody wants a spritz well, with some sort of Amaro in it, um, we, we weren't making an Amaro. So now we're working on coming up with a Deacon Giles Amaro that'll be coming out this summer, so. And how many of the speakeasy cocktails do you have right now, uh, different varietals? Oh, different cocktails on the menu? Yeah. Oh, I don't even know if I can count that high without taking my shoes off twice. Uh, I think we have, <laughs> I think we have close to 30 cocktails on the menu at the moment. Nice. And uh, what, how many of those do you can? Uh, right now, just, just two. Just these two that uh, we have here? Yeah, we're, uh, at the end of the month, we're going to be releasing uh, our Mai Tai in a can. Cool. That'll be out Very for cool. me. Be I don't think I've ever seen a can. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> that might be a first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I've seen one example. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot out there. <laughs> and so, speaking of the cans, we've got a couple here. So uh, we have the two here. So I don't know if, uh, Nick, are you ready for the tasting or did you yeah, want to jump let's in? Let's get into the, uh, we'll taste the cans and talk about these for a bit. And then we'll get into some of the spirits after. Bianca, I'll let you start. Which do you want to start with? So the one that I opened was the Splash of Cran. Uh, I opened just, both. You're better than me. You did. <laughs> I'll open the other one too. I just started <laughs> with one. Um, and as I said before, I they're awesome looking. I think that they're so cool for like just having at the house. Um, the, I already did try this one. I cheated a little bit, but I love the flavor. I think it's totally different than any other canned cocktails I've had. A lot of the time, I think they taste cheaper and they just don't like... I don't know. It's, it doesn't, it's not really like what you expect a cocktail to taste like. So I do like that this is, you know, it, it's like something I would have made for myself and it, it's, it doesn't strike me as like, all right, this, you know, it's just a mediocre cocktail out of the can. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's my honest reaction. Um, but really good. And I have the other one here, Nick, I'll open it while you, while you start off telling yeah. me how that is. <laughs> that's super tasty. Uh, definitely very uh, like fruity and sweet from the cranberry in it, obviously. One thing that I like about it, and I'm sure I've mentioned this a bunch of times, but I'm not big into like the whole seltzer craze and like the super carbonation in it. Uh, this is definitely fizzy and I guess enough carbonated that you'd want it, but it's not overpowering. You don't get that like a crazy sizzle down your throat and your tongue when you're drinking it and your stomach. Um, definitely really tasty. <laughs> Remy wants <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you nailed it, Nick. Uh, we actually, the carbonation, uh, super geeky here, but um, the carbonation on those uh, actually lands, it's slightly higher than uh, like a typically carbonated beer and slightly lower than, than you usually see in a seltzer, so. All right, uh, I'll start off with the next one then, the uh, G&T, the gin and tonic. So let's uh, give this one a try here. See, now that's the splash of cran. It's definitely uh, more cranberry forward. As I'll say, when comparing these two, this one here, when you sip it, the first thing I get is gin. And that's real gin, and it tastes like a gin cocktail. That doesn't taste like, like I was saying before, you know, it doesn't taste like a, you know, just watered down, like gin and tonic style drink. That's, you know, that's gin, very gin forward. Um, again, super tasty, easy to drink. Uh, these would be awesome, awesome to just take and have it, you know, barbecues or outside and grilling or anything like that. When you just want to crack open a cold can of something, 
but you wanted to have a little bit something extra and more of a spirit-based cocktail instead of just cracking a beer or something, these would be definitely the perfect drink for that. I love it. I also love gin. <laughs> Nick knows I don't really get a lot of opportunities to have gin on the podcast because there aren't a lot of pe- as many people making it. I shouldn't say a lot, but there aren't quite as many people making it or making it well. Um, and I, I think it's great. It's exactly what I what I would reach for. Um, definitely over um, like Nick's, you know, he's our whiskey guy. He's our uh, bourbon aficionado. And I think, you know, it's great when I get the opportunity to to have a gin with our guests because this is definitely one of my favorites and probably one of the best canned cocktails that I've had. I think it, it might be, it, it's definitely on the top of that list. So uh, kudos for that because you don't see a lot with the gin. So I love it. <laughs> I think the, the, I think the GNTs are probably in just about every boat in Salem Harbor. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I think Nick can on like that portability aspect, uh, you know, like uh, making a cocktail, you can't do that on a boat because you don't bring glass on the water. Um, I, I, we, I think every weekend during the summer, we have somebody headed to their boat, stopping by and grabbing a case of the stuff to stock up their fridge so they can have cocktails while they're on the water. That's uh, while we're talking about the gin, we'll get into some of the cocktails. So before we get tasting, can you tell us the difference from me? Bianca might know this. Like she said, I'm a whiskey guy. I'm not really a gin guy. Uh, what's the difference between an original gin and a dry gin? Uh, so our original gin is uh, more what you call a, um, a Western style gin, um, which is really, I mean, it's really one of those uh, uh industry-wide accepted made-up terms um but you know as 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 the u.s um craft distilling scene has evolved um you're seeing a lot of unique gins out there that have a lot more than just juniper going on um you know the spice profiles are more and more complex um and kind of incredibly um unique compared to what you would consider a standard gin right um, and then, you know, a dry gin, that's, that's more uh, along the lines of your, your juniper forward, um, punch in the face of cranberry, uh, uh, juniper berry um, style gin. London Dry is, is the quintessential um, kind of example. Um, so it's really, it's, it's an evolution in gin when you move from the dry gin to, to like our original gin, the Western style gins. Um, and it's, it's that creative mindset that uh, the stillers uh, get to use when they're starting to design a spirit whose only definition is must contain juniper berry, you know? So on that, Bianca, you want to kick us off here with the gins and start with the dry gin and then I'll get into this original gin? Sure. I also just want to say, I don't know if you guys saw me before, but I was struggling trying to open the bottle. it's like i look ridiculous right now we got it we're open now it's good it's different it's definitely different this is the dry gin i think nick prefaced with that but i don't know if we're putting the video up but i'll i'll show you um i I do want to say I love the size of these bottles. Like if I was going to buy this for myself, I think it's like the perfect size because I never take me forever to finish one of those big bottles. Um, I think it has a really interesting flavor. It's definitely different than, I don't know. I, 
I think like you said, it has a lot of different flavors that are coming out. It's um really unique in its in its flavor, but it's so smooth. Like it doesn't have a, like a strong boozy flavor at all. I think it has a great finish and a really nice like um just the flavor of it, the complexities in it. It's really nice. Can you compare it maybe, Bianca, to like another more widely known like big brand dry gin, like I don't know, a Hendrix or something? Like, well, I think it has a lot more, a lot more like prominent flavor. Um, it's like, it, it's very, I think the, so sometimes I, you drink gin and it's like, it's hard, it's hard to drink. And I think that this is, it's really, really smooth. I probably smoother than most of the ones that I've had, um, which is ideal, obviously <laughs> in a spirit. So I think it's a lot smoother. And I think that the, the flavors, it definitely has a lot of the juniper flavor, but it's just the combination of what's in it, it, it feels like a really, really nice, like quality, complex flavor profile. I think it's really nice. And it would probably be a great one just to drink by itself um, because of how smooth it is. I don't know if you would necessarily need to put it in a cocktail, whereas it, a cheaper gin or a lot of mainstream gins, I feel like you kind of have to mix them up. Um, but this would be totally good standalone. So the... the... No, sorry. <clears throat> I mean, so so the dry gin actually contains all the same botanicals uh, as the original gin, um, and, and a much different uh, much different ratio. Uh, you know, we up the juniper uh, in the dry gin by over two hundred percent, and then cut the rest of the botanicals by over ninety percent. Um, but the base for it is actually a cane spirit base. Um, you know, usually uh, uh, most gins um, are going to use some sort of vodka base and vodkas tend to usually be either uh, wheat, corn or potato based. Um, but we had started doing a vodka that was a cane based vodka, kind of went to back to uh, our New England rum making roots and uh, made a vodka out of it. Um, we decided that that was gonna be a great base because it is so smooth uh, to create a dry gin that was, that was really drinkable. Um, and then yeah, up the juniper, cut back on the other botanicals and voila, that's our dry gin. And I don't think I've had a lot of like labeled dry gins, but I honestly think, and I was just, I don't know, just thinking about it and the flavors of all the gins that I've tried. I, I really do think that's probably my favorite. I think it has just such a, such a good flavor, but the, like the different, the notes and the smoothness of it, I just can't get over that. I think it's definitely one of the best ones I've had. It's probably, it, it is my favorite. I'll say that it is definitely my favorite. Oh, gin thank you. I've tried. <laughs> so I've been smelling and tasting this original gin as we've been talking, and I don't know if I'm going to sound crazy here or what, because gin is a botanical spirit, but when I'm smelling it at kind of like tasting it as I would a whiskey that I'm trying to pull some flavors out of, it almost smells like butterscotch or caramel or something like it has a really yeah a flavor like that uh, or a smell like that on the nose. And when I drink it more than other gins that I've tried, uh, it doesn't have almost that pine needly like flavor like I've had a lot. Mm -hmm. It's almost more of it's a creamier texture. It's buttery smooth. It's really nice. This would be if I was to drink a gin, this is what I would go with over something like that over maybe I don't know if that's more of a traditional dry gin is what you'd get those notes out of in these Western sort original gins would tend to have more of these flavors or it's just so, such a broad spectrum but that's what I'm getting out of this uh, as a as a whiskey drinker this seems like my kind of gin 
<laughs> so the, yeah, the, I mean, the, the Western gin uh, genre is kind of the wild west um, as far as what you can do. Um, but yeah, we actually start out, um, the base for that is a white whiskey. Uh, it's 90% barley, 70% or 10, 90% barley, 10% rye base. And we distill that into a white whiskey as the base. So I think you're definitely picking up those whiskey notes. They definitely carry through this nice sweetness um, that you get from the barley. Um, and then the rye adds a little bit of spiciness to the finish like you would with a rye whiskey. Um, and then, yeah, the botanicals, I mean, the juniper is just in there pretty much enough to let you know that there's juniper in it. So it's still a gin. Uh, but we really focused on the seven other botanicals, getting those balanced um, so that you had a lot of complexity to it. Um, but at the base of it, that, that whiskey base for it uh, really lends it to, to uh, kind of a nice drinkability. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites is, is the original gin. It was, it was really born out of, you know, Ian and I decided uh, we were going to make a gin and we wanted to make the gin that we wanted to drink. Um, and fortunately, we were on the same page <laughs> and it ended up with the original gin. So I believe it's in you, Nick, to find the whiskey notes in the gin. <laughs> I know, right? Sniff that out right away. Um, to ask another question about this. So is it going to be cocktail dependent or flavor dependent on what you want the final product to be? Or would you typically use a dry gin or an original gin when making most of the classic gin cocktails? Uh, I mean, if I was... I would, I would guess it would kind of depend on the audience, but generally, yeah, we start, we start people with the dry gin uh, for doing some sort of classic gin based, you know, like a bee's knees or even just a gin and tonic. Um, and then, and then we, we use the OG, you know, the, the dry gin is the gateway gin. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's definitely still a London dry style, but like Bianca said, it has a little bit more going on to it uh, in the background. Um, and then, oh, did you like that? Well, you should try it with our original gin. It's much more flavorful or much more botanical based. Um, and it, it, it kind of turns people on once they try the dry gin and see that it doesn't have to be all pine needles. Um, and then you step over to the original gin. That's kind of the next phase in, in your discovery process. So next up, we have your amber rum here. And this is something that I actually, I had never really experimented too much with rum until we started doing this podcast and having some other distillers and stuff on. It's become, quickly become one of my more favorite spirits um i always have a bottle at least i have the spiced rum a lot and i love making like a dark and stormy with it that's kind of my mm -hmm. go-to uh cocktail to whip up if i want something refreshing i just love the ginger beer and the lime and the some of that spiced rum uh so this is something that i've gotten really into so i'm excited to try this one out here bianca did you get to try any of the uh rums or is this one all mine that's all you, but I will say my, my rum cocktail of choice is usually a mojito. I love mojitos. You're like, I can't wait to try your can when it comes, or you don't have a can. That's the Mai Tai. Never mind. I lied. But I love mojitos. I'm, I'm going to come into the tasting room and try it there because we um, <laughs> are always making stuff at home. And I think that that's probably one of my favorite cocktails in general, especially in the summer. I order them all the time. And this is just a, this is a great dark rum. Uh, one thing that I've tended to like about rum is that if you just have a good dark rum or something, it's almost like what you would expect the whiskey to taste like before you taste the whiskey. That's super high, you know, ABV, usually it's going to burn. It's going to have that. It's just got more of a sweetness, more of that, you know, like coconutty, islandy flavor to it. And, uh, it's super tasty. And again, baby smooth. So none of that burn that I would get, you know, 
you know, typical whiskey, if I'm going with like a higher ABV whiskey or something, just really, really easy drinking, something that I would definitely drink straight or add in a cocktail if you wanted to mix it up and get some different flavors out of it. So we, we just entered this uh, Amber Rum and uh, the New York International World Spirits Competition. Uh, we haven't got the results back yet, uh, but we were a little reluctant to um, because we're worried that it, it's going to end up, uh, you know, it, it's going to go in the aged rum category. And we're worried that the taster is going to actually mistake it for, for a bourbon. Um, it, I can tell you everything about how we make it. Um, and still at the end of the day, I don't know exactly why it ends up being what it is because um, it's such a collection of, of um, influences in, you know, on the final product. But um, I, I, I would put that our amber rum up against any good, you know, solid aged bourbon any day of the week um, as, as, as kind of a gateway rum to, to the bourbon drinker. Like, hey, rum, rum doesn't have to be hot and sweet. It can actually be smooth and sweet. And, and um, yeah, I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> How long, uh, I'm curious. So to get the dark rum, I'm assuming you're aging it in just a typical wood barrel. And how long would you age a rum for like this one particular before put bottling it? So we, we, um, ours is aged in new American oak barrels, uh, with a standard number three, what they call an alligator char. Um, but we actually use a Solera method to age it, which is a little different than you kind of age a bourbon or a whiskey. Now Solera aging, um, essentially, uh, you kind of build tiers into it. Um, and each tier is of a different age. Um, so your bottom tier is always your oldest set your middle tier is a little younger and your top tier is the newest rum that you just put in. Um, and every six months, you take that bottom tier, that oldest set, you harvest some of the rum. We harvest about half of it. We put the other half back into the barrels. And then we take that middle tier, which is only about probably been aged a year. We take half of that, use half of that to refill the bottom tier, put the other half back into the middle and then same with the top tier. So it, it's kind of this waterfall effect from the top down where we're blending and aging all at the same time. Um, and the really nice part of that for us is we end up with really high consistency in something that's actually been aged, uh, usually about 18 months, sometimes a little over, but 18 months is the minimum by the time it gets to the bottom. Um, but a portion that you return is always ending, ending up mixed into the final product. So as it ages, it actually gets better and better and better, even though everything looks like it's only been aged 18 months kind of on the surface. Um, it also means that, um, we, we end up with uh, a high quality rum using kind of a, a lot fewer barrels than the bourbon the whiskey guys have to use. So it helps save us a little bit of space, which is nice. Um, but it's also a, a, the technique of Solera aging um, is kind of a lost art. It's used a lot for like Port Madeira and dessert wines, but um, it used to be used a lot in the Caribbean and, and a lot of distillers have kind of shied away from it, which is kind of unfortunate because it's, it's such a fun process um, and it does end up with a really high quality rum. Yeah, and it is definitely a super tasty rum. And anyone that's looking to pick up a dark rum, that's just, a, you know, a good, easy drinking rum is, that's that's what I'm recommending. It's awesome. That's a great rum. I also saw on your Instagram that you were playing around with coffee and mixing that up with your rum. What is that? What is that? Is that in your rums now? Or is that something new that you're coming out with? So we, we did a batch of coffee rum. Um, I think about two, two years ago, two or three years ago. Uh, and we worked with a local coffee roaster, Atomic Coffee Roasting. Um, I've always, I've, I've done a lot of, um, 
alcohol infused with coffee. <laughs> so it's kind of one of my favorite things. Um, so it, initially we did the, the, the first batch, like I said, about three years ago, uh, and it was wildly popular, um, but uh, it was part of the single batch series. So, you know, we can't just keep making it. When it runs out, it runs out. Um, so we were pl actually planning on redoing another batch last year uh, in the before times. And then um, obviously that didn't pan out given everything. So uh, we decided we're gonna relaunch another batch this year in the fall. So we looked around and um, kind of discussed on the, within the team um, kind of what coffee roasters we thought we should reach out, reach out to. Um, we actually met the Fazenda Coffee Roasters um, at the um, Bonds event two summers ago. Um, and I, I kind of really hit it off with those guys. So I reached out to them to see if they were interested. And they said, heck yeah. And they had coffee up here within a week. Um, so we're playing with a couple of different varieties of their coffee. Uh, and we'll be releasing it again uh, this fall with the Fazenda Coffee Roasters. Where are they located out of? They're out of, uh, oh, shoot. I want to say Dedham. Dedham. So another yeah, local one. Of, that's cool. Yeah, that, I know. That, that Southwest corridor. Yeah. We've actually had Atomic on here a couple of times as well. Um, yeah, they're great guys. Coffee. Yeah, that's Bianca's one of her favorite local coffee shops to go yeah. to. And they make great coffee. But yeah, it's it's awesome. I love seeing, and I've seen that a lot with a lot of the uh, Salem, the other Salem companies. It seems like there's a lot of collaborations and everything within the city and within that, you know, North Shore area, you know, between Ipswich and Salem and everything like that. Uh, so it's cool to see a lot of that. And I, we definitely see that. I'm up here in Portland, Maine, so we see that up in this area too. But I love when uh, the different craft spirits and craft food and beverage companies kind of get together and make a really great final product because they both specialize in their own thing. When you come together and make something different and special, it's always really cool to see what you come up with. Yeah, the, the collaboration is, is really... Um... It's something I look forward to because it's just so much fun to to reach outside of the four walls that I'm inside of every day uh, and talk to people that are, you know, I may not be making booze, but they're they're making something and the passion behind it and being able yep. to, um, you know, kind of compare notes and talk about what it is that we love about our product and then figure out how they how they mix together well. Um, it's just it's just fascinating. Yeah, one of the uh, like an interesting one that we had before was Aeronaut Brewing out of uh, where that of Bianca. Somerville, that's what I thought. Yeah, they have a chocolate, a chocolatier next to them, and they got some of the cocoa nibs from them and made stouts with it. Uh, so, it's, you know, mm -hmm. seeing that, you know, really keeping it local. And that's, I mean, it's going to ensure you get some really fresh, good stuff. And, you know, you're not getting coffee shipped from somewhere else. You're not getting some old beans from some warehouse somewhere. It's making sure you're getting quality stuff to mix with your rum. It's going to make for a really good one. Nice Giles Maxwell House coffee rum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folgers. So, oh yeah. <laughs> best part of going to sleep. <laughs> well, so before we sign off for the night, why don't you tell us where everyone local or online can find your spirits and your canned cocktails, uh, whether it's on social media and where they can pick some up for themselves. Um, okay, so uh, we're pretty much in just about every to every other uh, liquor store on the North Shore, Massachusetts. Uh, we've been slowly growing in Boston. It's a little quiet right now. Um, and uh, we have a pretty good presence on the South Shore, but it can be a little bit harder to find. Um, but if you're on the North Shore, anywhere in Salem, uh, it's going to have pretty much everything that we produce, all the canned cocktails, all the spirits. Um, and you can always come to the distillery as well. Um, we sell everything to go out of here. 
or you can come and have a cocktail and then take something to go to. Um, and beyond that, you know, we just launched New Hampshire. Um, so if you are up in New Hampshire listening to this, you can get the canned cocktails at the state liquor stores right now, uh, Splash of Cran and the GNT. And the, the spirits will come later. Um, New Hampshire is a hard state to get into, so we want to make sure we do it right first. It's cool. I'll definitely be looking uh, in New Hampshire up for those too. Spent a lot of time there, and it's right across the border as well from uh, where I'm at here in Portland. It's not too far. Uh, so definitely be picking some of these up for this summer. And, I'm also uh, petitioning for Nick to take a day trip down so he can uh, just visit in person. I mean, you don't have to petition. <laughs> I already agreed to I'll it. Be We're there, doing but... it. It's just about timing. We'll just find the time. Uh, but for sure, yeah. Do you ship at all? Any spirits or cocktail canned cocktails? We can't in Massachusetts. Uh, liquor is not allowed to ship yet. So unfortunately, that's not an option. Hopefully soon. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us. We had a lot of fun. We love your products here, and I can't wait to drink more of them. Cheers. 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 Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Be sure to follow us on social at Uncorked Corner and on the blog at uncorkedcorner.com for a taste of more food and beverage content. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave a comment, subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Thanks for listening. Thanks.